Hey, everybody. It's Max. Uh, so first of all, I just want to say thanks again for listening to 70 Over 70. I'm still getting notes from people. It happens almost every day that I hear from someone who has listened to the show or just found it and is getting something out of these conversations that I got so much out of myself. And uh, it just means the world. It really does. There's nothing better than hearing from someone who has um, gotten something out of the show. So thank you again for listening to it. But the reason I'm here is because I've got some other recommendations for things that you should listen to. Podcasts made by the same people at Pineapple Street Studios who made 70 Over 70. If you're looking for something to listen to, these are your recommendations. I promise Every single one of these shows hits it out of the park. Think of this as like your summer reading list, except for podcasts. So the first one I want to recommend, it's called Borderline Salty, and it's hosted by these two incredible, hilarious chefs and food writers, Carla Lolly Music and Rick Martinez. If you're looking for something fun, something weekly that you can just kind of like luxuriate in and laugh, and also that'll make you better in the kitchen— Check out Borderline Salty. It's super fun. It'll crack you up. You'll get better. You'll get some real genuine tips. It's just got everything you need. Here's a little taste from one of their segments, Total Kitchen Nightmare. A lot of the questions we get here on the show are people opening up to us about what has gone wrong for them in the kitchen. In this next segment called Total Kitchen Nightmare, we'll be bringing on a crew of people who we are inspired by to share their own kitchen meltdowns. <laughs> but before we get into all of those, we thought it would only be fair for us to tell our own. Part of the cooking journey is about trial and error. Mm -hmm. You have to fail. You have to have that complete and total meltdown practically burning your kitchen down, <laughs> and then you realize, aha, I am never going to do that again. Oh, yeah. It's been a really long road. There are lots of bumps in that road, and you just learn from it and get better. Bumpy roads indeed. Uh, so, Rick, I'm throwing it to you. I want to hear about the bumpy roads, the lumpy batters, the, <laughs> the burning down the house. Oh, goody. I get to go first. Well, <laughs> funny enough, this story actually involves you. Oh. Back in our, our Bon Appetit days, we used to have daily tastings. And so every day at 3 o'clock, Carla and some of the senior editors would assemble in our tasting room and test kitchen editors would get their meals together, get all of their dishes prepped and ready to go. And at three o'clock, we just had a, a list of who was going to be serving. And so, you know, there were heroics, mm -hmm. there were egos, mm -hmm. there were moments of showing off and we all did it. And so this one particular day, I think I had like seven or eight dishes that I needed to present. Wow. And one of them was this Italian plum cake, which I absolutely adore. Yeah. Italian plums are late season. They're super flavorful and delicious. And I was very excited about this cake. But I wasn't focused. I wasn't in the moment. I was thinking about all of the things that needed to get done to get the, the dishes out on time. And I did something. Actually, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> I can only believe that I put too much butter or not enough flour. Okay. In any case, I put the cake in the oven. And about midway through... Chris Morocco started sniffing. Ugh. He's like a hound dog. Totally. Like, you know when he starts sniffing, yeah. something is afoot. And I was like, oh, God, what is that? And I smelled something burning. And I was like, 
oh shit, there's smoke coming out of my oven. And so, you know, in the vein of showing off and also not wanting to show failure, mm-hmm. I quickly pulled that cake out of the oven, saw that it had basically boiled over and spilled onto the floor of the oven and was burning. Oh my God. I literally threw the cake pan with the unbaked cake into my drawer in my island. <laughs> Scraped up all the <laughs> shit on the bottom of the oven, threw it into another drawer. Oh, my God. And then quickly acted like nothing was happening. Wow. Claire started to, like, walk over. I'm like, why do I smell cake? Are you making a cake? And I'm like, me? No, no, no. I'm making enchiladas, obviously. And no one was the wiser. I definitely had no idea that you had, like, had you know, what we used to lovingly refer to as the char of the day. Right, right. You know, I think for me, what I took away from that moment is that you really need to be present when you're not focused on what you're doing. Like, I mean, A, it can be very dangerous. Mm -hmm. Cooking involves fire. It involves sharp knives. And if you are preoccupied with something else, good or bad, and you're not in the moment, you can hurt yourself or hurt somebody else. Right. But minimally, you're probably going to fuck up your recipe. And so now I know that if I'm in a bad mood, whatever I'm doing is not going to be good. So I might as well just wait until I'm clear and I'm focused on what I'm doing and my food will turn out much better. Yeah. Multitasking, like honestly, our brains are not set up for it. So to juggle seven dishes like that is very difficult, but you solved it in the perfect way. So if this happened at a dinner party, you did exactly what I would want someone to do, which is throw the cake away and just serve ice cream. (laughs) Okay, that sounds like you have a kitchen nightmare that you want to share. Yeah, stay tuned. Mine was uh, definitely a party. (laughs) Okay, so if you want something quite different than that, You should check out Persona, The French Deception. If you are into scams, and not just small-level little five-and-dime scams, I'm talking biggest scams in the history of scams, scams, Persona is just that. It's about a guy named Gilbert Shickley, who's one of the great con artists of all time. It's hosted by journalist Evan Ratliff. He's also my co-host on the Long Form Podcast. And Evan tells this story about Shickley's scams. He invented, basically, a brand new con, but it's not just a story of criminal genius. It's also about this moment we're all living in, this golden age of scammery and how seductive these stories are. And it's also about what happens when the fantasy that you've been led to believe crumbles away. The show is fantastic. Evan is a genius in his own right. Here is a preview of Persona, The French Deception. Hello. There's this word in French that means scam, arnaque. A scammer or a con artist is sometimes called an arnaqueur. An original definition translates roughly as one who amuses in order to defraud. It's a good way to think about scams, I find, or at least the most inspired ones. I'm not talking about street-level swindles. I'm talking about the most elaborate confidence schemes. Cons that are in thousands or millions of dollars. Tens of millions, even. Yes. Yes. That kind of scam is rarely a single event in time, like a theft or a robbery. 
No, a truly great con is a story. As you know, I'm sending you $45 million. It's a fairy tale, one that taps into the listener's greed or loneliness or vanity or charity. To run this kind of scam, you have to be more than just clever or persuasive. You have to invent a whole imaginary world and then put your mark inside it. Make them a part of it so that they're adopting a new persona, just as you are. That's the art part of being a con artist, an arnaqueur, to amuse in order to defraud. If you can do that, if you can make a story so enticing that the listener lives inside of it and doesn't want to leave, you don't even have to steal the money. They'll just give it to you. It was a fairy tale, but it was real. <laughs> I'm Evan Ratliff, and this is the story of Gilbert Shickley, one of the greatest con artists of all time. The way he convinced to give him money, he's a genius. A man who started out as a two-bit scammer, but whose ambitions kept growing. A new email scam known as CEO fraud, and the FBI says it's on the rise. As he chased richer targets with more brazen schemes. He said, I'm Gilbert, and he opened a bag, and there was two million euro inside. I mean, he can convince you to do and to think everything he wants. Going after giant corporations, American Express, Adidas, Euro Disney, and taking tens of millions from some of the richest people on the planet. It was all a game, until it wasn't. Oh yes, he was scammed. And I was so happy that somebody scammed this scamster himself. He'd become a fugitive, a legend, even a hero. To some, a modern-day Robin Hood. You know what is the nickname of Jira Shikli? The Professor. A lot of people try to do uh, what he did. But uh, Gilbert Shikli is a professor. He's the professor. From Wondery, Pineapple Street Studios, and Amazon Music, this is Persona, The French Deception. Follow Persona, The French Deception wherever you get your podcasts. Or listen early on Amazon Music, or early and ad-free on Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts, or the Wondery app. I got one more recommendation for you, and this one is the perfect road trip binge show. It's called Project Unibomb, and it's about the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski. Now, you might think that you know the story of the Unabomber. Mass genius, dropped out of society, built a cabin in Montana, then went on a bombing rampage that lasted for 17 years. But the thing about Project Unibomb is you realize almost instantly when you hit play, you don't really know that story at all. The show features extensive interviews with Ted Kaczynski's brother, David, who for a time tried to live like Ted in a hole in the desert in Texas. We're talking literal hole in the dirt here. There are also stories from FBI agents about all the frustrations and squabbling during the investigation. And then there is a totally wild story about a group of young guys in Chicago who were the very first suspects in the Unabomb investigation. This group of guys, they got together all the time to play Dungeons and Dragons. And then suddenly they were suspects in the Unabomber investigation. It is mind-blowing. The show's hosted by Eric Benson, one of the reporters on the true crime show Suspect. So here's a clip from Project Unabomb, and this one is all about the decision to publish the Unabomber's manifesto in the Washington Post. Take a listen. Thursday, June 29th, 1995. It's a gray morning in Washington, D.C., a little cold for early summer. Don Graham leaves his house in Cleveland Park and arrives at the offices of the Washington Post before 9 a.m. 
His family has owned the Post for three generations. Now it's his paper. He's the publisher and CEO. I came to work and had a call from the chief of staff to the director of the FBI. Louis Free was FBI director at the time. And his chief of staff was a man I had never heard of named Bob Bucknam. Bob called me and said, if you go down to your mailroom, you will find a package addressed to someone at the Washington Post. We believe it is from the person called the Unabomber. And I said, hold the phone. I called Len Downey, the editor of the paper. Len Downey wasn't surprised by what Graham told him. We had been warned by the FBI that the New York Times had gotten such a package, and so the building was on alert. Downey had been at the Post for over three decades, working his way up from summer intern to executive editor. Along the way, he oversaw Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein as the Watergate scandal was unfolding. But this was new even for him. Downey's office had a glass wall facing the newsroom. It was basically the exposed nerve center of the paper. All the reporters and editors could see in. Did everyone in the newsroom pretty quickly find out about this? Yes. That's what happens in newsrooms. You know, a pin drops in one corner of the newsroom, everybody goes to see what happened. I think we were just all talking about it. And of course, I was immediately assigning somebody to cover the story. That week, the Unabomber was already the biggest story in the world, and he hadn't even set off a bomb. A couple days earlier, the San Francisco Chronicle had received a short letter that read, Warning. The terrorist group FC, called Unabomber by the FBI, is planning to blow up an airliner out of Los Angeles International Airport sometime during the next six days. The government says there is a credible threat that a passenger jet may be bombed. The Unabomber targeted an airliner once before. In 1979, a bomb exploded in the cargo hold of an American Airlines jet forcing an emergency landing at Washington's Dulles International Airport. Twelve people were injured. The LAX threat sent the world spinning. All airmail was grounded today in the state of California. We're focusing on parcels. I don't think we have the manpower to look at every single piece of mail by any means. LAX was a mess. Bags got extra screening, flights were delayed. Police asked passengers to show their IDs which, believe it or not, in 1995 was an extreme security measure. If you don't have picture ID, then we are requiring that your bags be physically searched. But then, that night, the Unabomber took the whole thing back. Another letter from the Unabomber arrived, this time to the New York Times. He said the LAX threat was a prank, intended to, quote, remind them who we are. Now he has seen he can toy with the entire nation. If indeed all he wants is attention, the terrorist killer known as the Unabomber must be happy tonight. So on that gray Thursday morning, when Graham and Downey realize there is a package from the Unabomber in their mailroom, the only thing that's clear is the Unabomber is in charge, and he's relishing that fact. Inside of that package, there isn't a bomb. Instead, they find a 56-page single-spaced essay entitled Industrial Society and Its Future. The FBI immediately came over, a whole bunch of FBI agents. Uh, uh, everybody in the newsroom was, uh, you know, was sort of on alert to something going on in the building that might be dangerous. Uh, and they, uh, they took the manifesto away. A few hours later, the FBI brought back a copy for the Post. Soon, Xeroxed manifestos were on the desks of the key decision-makers in the building. 
I think we had it immediately set into type somehow uh, so that we would have other copies of it and so we could print the whole thing if we ever needed to. I got a copy. I started to read it, and I said to myself, Jesus. Don Graham was in his office at the Post. The manifesto spread out on his desk. If you work in a senior role in a newspaper, you get one or two of these letters every month, which is a long essay by somebody who usually is fixated on his own criminal case or the evil his wife is doing to him or an unjust verdict from a judge. And it's usually written very clearly. But uh, I read this and I said, well, I, it appeared to me to be the writings of somebody who had all the answers to everything in the world. It was clear that this was a very smart but very disturbed person. I'm telling you, Project Unibomb, it's incredible. If you want to hear the rest of the show, listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Project Unibomb is an Apple original podcast produced just like Borderline Salty and Persona the French Deception by my colleagues at Pineapple Street Studios. Okay, that's it for me. Thanks again for listening to 70 Over 70. And if you're looking for something else, try one of these shows. I promise you won't be disappointed.